There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are in France, which means Tubi is more popular than cigarettes for breakfast. It's more popular than considering iced coffee a total abomination. More popular than loving political revolutions. More popular than mer and mer somehow being different words. Tubi, it's more popular than being French. See you in there. For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Highway to Hoover podcast, a production of SEC Extra at D1Baseball.com. Mark and I, my partner Mark Etheridge, excited to uh, get into week three around the SEC. It was an absolute blockbuster of a weekend. We will do that here in just a second. But first, I have to let you know that this podcast and all Highway to Hoover podcasts this season are brought to you by Brock's Gap Brewing Company in Hoover, Alabama. A big congratulations goes out to Brock's Gap while we're at it. They celebrated their first anniversary over the weekend. I you know, followed them on social media and saw some of the photos and videos, and it looked like it was a, a really, really fun time. And I can guarantee you it will be a really, really fun time while we're all there at the SEC tournament. We're looking forward to seeing some of you subscribers out there at, uh, at Brock's Gap come May. Thanks again to Brock's Gap Brewing Company. Uh, Mark, a heck of a weekend yep. around the SEC. Uh, it kind of reminds me, I wrote this in her notes, but it kind of reminds me of when the NFL played four preseason games, which has recently gone by the wayside, but how the third game was always the, quote, dress rehearsal. And then the fourth game kind of felt like a walkthrough, right? And I kind of feel like that's where we're at in the schedule, that this was a for a lot of teams, not every team, but for a lot of teams was a dress rehearsal against quality competition. Mm-hmm. You know, let's see where we're at. Let's test ourselves. And then next weekend's uh, the lightest weekend we've had so far from an SEC standpoint as we go into to SEC play. Uh, how um, you know is that kind of how you viewed it? What were your just yeah. kind of thoughts on on the schedule we had? I mean, next week doesn't look great in comparison. So certainly, and and that's the analogy you're making. It's it's almost like the like next week is the the SEC pre rivalry weekend. You know, in November when they play the SoCon Challenge, yeah, or whatever, yeah, right? SoCon but, Saturday, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so that that was that's kind of what we're heading into. Not in every case, you know, but but there's there's a lot of that. So, um, yeah, certainly uh, there were some interesting, you know, SEC ACC matchups this weekend, and 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 that was cool to see. Um, and then you know, you had some tournament action. You know, Ole Miss, Vandy, Mississippi State all got to see some different teams and. Alabama stayed undefeated. I got to see them on on Saturday. That's an interesting team we can talk about. But in Auburn, um, had, had had a couple of tight wins and pitched better. You know, they they, they did not just bludgeon people to death. So although they can still do that, <laughs> yeah. So good stuff. Yeah. So let I mean let's get right into it because we got a lot of ground to cover today. I I knew that going in because you know I'm doing the weekend preview and and I try to keep it as short as I can. But I remember writing last writing it last week just kind of thinking like oh my goodness there's so much I got to get to and of course now we, we get to recap it let's let's start with at least the, the the most marquee series at least from a ranking standpoint and that's that's Florida and Miami in Gainesville Florida wins a series they won uh, the first game 10 to 4 the last game 14 to 4 which was shortened to eight innings 
that was a game in which Florida went up eight to nothing in the second inning. They, they were really all over Miami starter Alejandro Rosario. Uh, never really looked back. Uh, Caglione started that game and, and was quite good. It was a good bounce back for him after his start the second weekend against Cincinnati was, was not quite as good, but Florida lost the middle game 14 to six. So it didn't really get necessarily the the close tight game that, that we you know would have liked there in that series, but still a lot of interesting stuff. And, you know, I think if you were watching this series with Florida, I think you came away thinking, this is the team we thought they were losing a game to Miami in the series is there's no shame in that with as as talented as, as Miami is. And I thought I was, I was watching before I went to my last game of the series between Georgia and Georgia tech, I was able to watch on TV, a few innings of Florida, Miami. And on the call was, was Kyle Peterson. And and he brought up a good point of Florida checks so many boxes. And if you really want to, if you really want to nitpick them, the way in which you can do it is they still it still feels like they need to find some arms in middle relief, you know, guys who can bridge the gap. The starting pitching, at least on paper, is is great. If you want to nitpick there, you could say that Brandon Sprout has really yet to have a, a stellar start. He's been perfectly serviceable. I'm not taking that away, but he's really yet to have that that start where it just blows you away, like he had some of late last season. But the starting pitching is good. Obviously, the lineup is raking. It's not just Cags and Wyatt Langford. It's Cade Curland is a great story. I know you wrote about that a little bit in Weekend Dish. Um, so they just check a lot of boxes. And and when we're, when we're talking about national title contenders, you know, you do have to nitpick a little bit. And, and that middle game showed you that there might be a little bit of a soft soft spot there in middle relief. But honestly, that's a nitpick we could probably pick at with any number of teams across the country, even the really really good ones. So. Um, you know, it wasn't the prettiest series, but Florida gets the job done, uh, wins that rivalry series and, and continues to really dominate that series against Miami. I think the only time in recent in the recent years that Miami has won that series was in 2021. And that was a wonky example of that because they played that series in week one. That was, of course, the post COVID season where scheduling was just kind of in general, pretty wonky. And so they played that one in week one and and that was kind of an ugly series too. And Miami outlasted them. So but generally speaking, Florida has dominated this rivalry of late and took care of business again over the weekend. Yeah. I mean, as a, as a fan of the sport, there are certain things that just kind of draw me. Okay. When teams just bash the ball all over, all over the park, doubles, triples, home runs, um, hitting the ball hard everywhere they go. I mean, that's far. The other thing is having power arms that no one can hit, right? It just been able to just overpower people and uh, accumulate strikeouts. And, and that's what Florida's doing. I mean, they're hitting home runs. They're striking people out. The the question I have, and, and you alluded to it as well, and, and Kyle too, is being able to, when the starters leave the game and they've been so dominant, to have that next guy because what's happening as far as giving up the big inning, I mean, in their three losses, what they've given up, what it was seven in the ninth in one loss, a six run sixth in another loss, and then 11 runs Saturday over the last three innings. All right. So there is just a barrage and they don't seem to have the answer to stop the bleeding. You know, that, that's part of part of this deal. If you can hold them to two, three runs, you know, you know instead of the, the five or six or 11 spot, then their offense is good enough. You're, they're probably still going to win the game. And and I think that's the, you know, that that's, you know, that, that's what Florida's got to do because they're hitting, they're leading the SEC and 
uh, 10 offensive categories. I mean, you don't do that. Uh, granted, some of that is it's just early and, and it'll normalize, but but when it's doubles, triples, home runs, total bases, slugging, runs scored, hits, I mean, that, that's pretty much everything, right? There's, there's not a whole lot left. So I really like what, what we're seeing from Florida, and I'm, I'm eager to see what how they how they go, you know, do they stretch out um, during the year and find those guys. Once the starters go maybe a little deeper in the game, that shrinks how many they, they need to get from other people, and maybe that's the answer. Yeah, I wondered if that colored the way they used Hurston Waldrop in that game on Saturday, mm -hmm. understanding that they're not really sure of themselves because they ended up push. He was great through six innings, mm -hmm. and they pushed him out for a seventh. And I don't know the specifics. I wasn't watching. I was at my own game at that point, so I wasn't I wasn't mm -hmm. totally in tune with kind of the the texture of that that process. But I do have to wonder if they brought him back out for the seventh because they thought uh, we're not really yeah, sure. <laughs> who we've got and then of course Waldrop ends up starting to get hit a little bit and that that's an outlier for Waldrop I'm not worried about that in in, in a vacuum that kind of thing is going to happen from time to time but it did kind of set set the course of events for Florida to end up end up losing that game but I, but I couldn't help but wonder seeing that if if that was kind of why that decision ended up being made mm -hmm. um let's move on it feels like we we, um, and I, you know, I'll see Florida in a, in a couple weekends. I'll be in Gainesville for the opening weekend of, of SEC play. I'm, I'm excited to see them. So we'll have, we'll have plenty on Florida as, um, as, as time goes on. There's only so much time Mark and I can spend fawning over the talent they have and, and how good they've been, <laughs> how good they've been so far. So uh, let's move on to one of the other rivalry series, South Carolina and Clemson. And this is a rivalry, rivalry series, pardon me, that feels like it's lost a little bit of juice in recent years. It feels like Sometimes one is ranked and not the other, more, perhaps more often than not. And I don't have the data on this, perhaps more often than not over the past six, seven years, it's neither team has been ranked. feels like that that's often been the case. So that was again, the case here South Carolina was ranked, uh, but the, the, the shine was a little bit off of it, not only because Clemson was unranked, but also because Clemson had just come off of getting swept by UCF and it, you know, it, you just kind of didn't know how competitive Clemson was going to be. And the answer was they, they were competitive. They won the opener five to two, and you kind of thought, oh boy, this is this is not a good look for South Carolina if they're going to lose this series after Clemson looked so poor the weekend before. But South Carolina comes back and, and wins the next two games and won them in different ways. They win an 11-9 game that was kind of back and forth, obviously high scoring. And then they they won the finale seven to one, which was just a comprehensive win where they really left, left no doubt. And so I thought that was really, really good news for them to battle back in that way. Um I'm not sure how much of this you were following along with Mark necessarily, but kind of what was your take early in the weekend when you, you saw that initial score versus what you kind of came away with as the series wrapped up and South Carolina comes out on top? Yeah, I, I think the, the thing when I look at South Carolina is that if they hit home runs, they win. And they've been able to to do that quite a bit this year. I mean, obviously they only lost one game. Um that, that's the thing for me. Their pitching has been has been solid, right? They certainly got to step up in competition with Clemson, and that will continue, you know, in a couple of weeks when conference play starts. But um, what I, what I want to see is can they win games when they don't hit home runs? That that's that's what I want to learn. Can they can they manufacture? Can they play small ball and and not just the bunt game? I'm talking about you know get get three hits in an inning to score instead of one hit. Uh, a hit batter and a and a homer, which is kind of what they're 
they've been doing a lot of. So um, th- that's really the thing. Their pitching's been good. And and that was something, you know, heading into the year, we felt good about their pitching and we wondered if they'd be able to hit. And um, they, they've been hitting the ball all, o- all over the park. So, um, so far they've answered that, you know, in an affirmative. Yeah, just to put some numbers on it, 32 home runs for South Carolina so far this season. And you can apply the competition filter over the, you know, especially the first week where it was, was it UMass Lowellmark? They they played the first weekend. Yeah. So, I mean, you can definitely apply the competition filter on that. So I get that. I I hear you, but it was good news. I think that they continue to score runs against, against Clemson, 29 hits in three games. That's, that's a good number. That's typically going to get it done. And Clemson has big questions on the mound. I'm, I'm not here to tell you that Clemson's pitching staff is is great or even good, but those are Clemson level baseball players, ACC level baseball players. They're talented. So the fact that you did that against an ACC club like Clemson in a rivalry series, no less, I think is is good news just generally for the Gamecock hitters. And on the flip side, I'm not I'm not overly worried about the pitching giving up some runs to Clemson at times, mostly in that middle game, because. Clemson has a good offense. That's one thing we actually do know about Clemson is, is they can they can hit. They they typically hit. They've got good players on that side. So I kind of went into the weekend expecting that Clemson would score some runs, even against its good South Carolina pitching. Now, there were some individual performances that will have to be better for South Carolina as the season moves on. But, um, you know, tough performances will happen. We'll just kind of have to keep keep monitoring that. But but overall, I, I came out of it feeling pretty good about South Carolina. And, we you know, we, we talked about you know, I was on a podcast leading up to the weekend and the host asked me about it. And, and I said, the thing about this is that if South Carolina is going to be a team that continues to deserve to be ranked, a team that could maybe, if things break right, get into the host conversation, which where we have them ranked suggests that we think they could get into that conversation. This is the type of weekend they just need to win the series mm-hmm. and just get it done. And it wasn't pretty. They You never want to lose a Friday game. And have to fight back, but they they did it, and I think that I think that speaks volumes, honestly, that that they overcame that and got that done. Yeah, I agree, agree totally. And and it also, it's these are the kind of series that fans care about, so it's always good to have that those bragging rights, you know, as you head into this regular season. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, okay, let's talk about something that didn't go as well. Let's talk about Mississippi State and Frisco, and oh boy, um, talk about it. Talk about a team that I've been asked about a lot, Mark. I don't know, I don't know how you're feeling about it. Uh, just, um, but I guess let's just actually start with that. I mean, this season when I've been on radio podcasts or even more so like in press boxes, I've yeah. I've been asked more about two things this season than anything else. One is about the Tennessee situation with mm-hmm. Tony's suspension, Maui and all that. The second thing, though is what's going on at Mississippi State? Like, what are the issues there? I, I don't know about you, but that, that seems to be just something generally. We'll get into the specifics of the Frisco weekend here in a second. But mm-hmm. just generally, that I feel like that's something that's just perhaps now, especially now that Tennessee has full strength, has Tony back, has Maui playing, all that stuff. I feel like the Mississippi State situation might be the most, the thing that general SEC fans are most intrigued by at this point. Yeah, I would agree. And, and it's, you know, the last two years have been such a, you know, that from the penthouse to the outhouse. And and now you thought, well, okay, which way is it going to go heading into this year? Lots of impact transfers, love the talent, especially in the lineup. Um, the pitching and the defense have, have really let them down and let them down to the point where it's costing them games. 
you know, with, with unforced errors, with, with, with a lot of walks and a lot of unearned runs. I forget what the stat is. Um, it's like, I don't have it in front of me, but it's like 17 unearned runs. I mean, this early in the year, it's just nuts, man. Um, so so that that's really what Mississippi State's got to figure out. These are not, I don't believe, they're talent issues. I believe it's more execution issues and getting guys um, comfortable so that those errors don't occur and that, um, you know, and, and that they're able to, to execute in the zone, you know, talking about pitchers. You nailed it, by the way, 17 unearned runs so far this season. I don't remember uh, that. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah not, not great, Bob. Um, yeah, I, going into the weekend, you kind of wondered, okay, the Southern Miss game didn't go great. They won it. And actually, mm-hmm. it's kind of funny. I think I accidentally told a, a radio host last week, or I mentioned that they lost that game, which goes to show that, like, even though they won it, what my perception of that game was. <laughs> because it kind of exposed, like, some of the stuff we've just been talking about with them. And so over the weekend, it was kind of the same old stuff, which has to be what's frustrating about it. No no starter went more than four innings. And I will do an asterisk here and say, Gerangelo Sanja, his four innings was more so because they're just now kind of getting him into the weekend rotation. And they probably were being a little more cautious with him. He pitched well enough to go deeper into the game. So, but the other two guys, um, including Graham Intima, who I saw the previous weekend against Arizona State look really, really solid, had a lot less success. So there you're already kind of digging yourself a hole. They also made seven errors across three games. So that was an issue again. And then one of the kind of stray thought I have about this, though, is they swung the bat, you know, okay the rest of the weekend. I mean, they end up winning. The one game they end up winning is at the end of the weekend where they they beat Cal 8-4. to four. They scored nine runs against Oklahoma, you know, a team that a team that has pitching questions of its own, I guess, if, if we really want to dig into it. But they faced Isaiah Coupette on, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, the Ohio State ace, it's Coupette or Coupette. Um, He's really good, really talented, big arm. I I do wonder a little bit if that's a canary in the coal mine for this offense against really good pitching. Because, right, they're going to see pitchers better than Isaiah Coupet, no disrespect to him, most weeks in the SEC, or at least on par with that, right? And so they he, Coupet walked to some guys, like he walked six. They had some base runners against him, but they they couldn't, breakthrough and that that can be bad luck perhaps there were I didn't see the game live again I was as at my own game but perhaps there were some hard hit balls at guys perhaps there was some bad luck perhaps the hits just weren't clustered together the hits and walks a lot of things can go into that but but I, I do wonder if maybe that was a for this offense that has been so good for the most part this season and I still think is where their bread is going to be buttered mm-hmm. is that a little bit of a canary in the coal mine against hey against good pitching it's not going to come that easy We'll have to see. That's a that's an open-ended question at this point, but it is something I thought about because, you know, Coupette is probably, other than maybe Ross Dunn, and, you know, oh, by the way, they lost that game too, um, Arizona State's Ross Dunn. Other than Ross Dunn, he's probably the best arm without looking at their full list of pitchers they faced. He's probably the best starter they faced so far this season other than Ross Dunn, and in those two games they lost. So that is something to to watch as, as things move forward. Yeah. and But, you know, in fairness – everyone's kind of going through those questions right now. There's a lot of teams putting, putting out big numbers and it, they're about to have to do it. against a lot tougher competition, but I have confidence Mississippi state's going to hit. I do. I just don't understand the, the defensive woes 
and and, and the pitching, they've got to sort it out. Although may, maybe with was it Dom who threw five? Was it scoreless? Five scoreless and gave up what one hit or something like that? I mean, just a dominant type of effort. I'm really fascinated to see what his role is going to be. Do, do you keep him in the pen and use him as, you know, whenever you can win a game to, to just nail it down? Or do you turn him into a starter and try to try to solidify these things? Or maybe maybe you try a little bit of both and see what works best. But honestly, it's kind of – I feel like it – I mean, he's such a good bullet to, to have right now. you got to maximize him. Um, could he close on Friday and then do a long relief, you know, type of thing on Sunday? I don't know. You know, what's the what's the happy balance there? But um, it's just it, when you've got somebody like that who's filling an obvious need, um, you know, how do you get the most out of it? That that's really fascinating. And then you know, with, with, with Sanjay, what what's his role going to be? Is he going to be a Friday guy? Um, pitched really well the other day. Uh, that would be. That would be just what the doctor ordered, right? Um, and then, you know, then what? Uh, th- then you got to figure out, you know, who's going to fill those other spots. And it's, you know, it's it's not that they don't have guys; they have they have people who have who have innings, and they have people who have potential. Um, it's just they've got just got to get better results because I, I think the pieces are there. They could go into any weekend and knock off one of these top you know, elite SEC teams, but they could also, you know, get swept. So it's it's going to be one of those kind of years, which is fascinating for, for you and I to, to watch it because it's always unpredictable and you don't know what's going to happen. But for, for Mississippi State fan, it's going to probably be pretty pretty um, harrowing just because you're you don't know you don't know what to expect. There's there's just a lack of consistency. Yeah, fascinating is a. Uh... It, you know, would probably not be a word that they would <laughs> perhaps, <laughs> perhaps said sarcastically. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, the, the, Nate, the Nate Dome usage is, is a big storyline to watch. I mean, I think it's a couple of things are indicative of, of where this team is in, ter- in terms of trying to find solutions. I think one of them, as good as Sanja has been, I think, frankly, one of them is that Sanja was in the week in rotation in week three, mm-hmm. because ultimately you're talking about a freshman hyper talented freshman don't get me wrong but a freshman who is unique you know he has unique requirements as a ambidextrous pitcher and you know that's something that that I think we're still we've had how many examples throughout history of guys who can do that so knowing how they should be used and how long it takes them to recover and how deep they can go into games and all that are, are still kind of mysteries in a lot of ways and so I think I the fact that he wasn't in the rotation to start the season tells you kind of that they were looking to maybe bring him along in, in a little bit of a lesser role. And now I just, they don't have any, they don't have any other op. They've got to try it. Right. And I think it's, it's the same thing with dome where it's, whether it's an opener and you just say, Hey, go get us three good innings and anything else is gravy. Perhaps that's the answer. But again, that just kind of shows you where, where Mississippi state is at that, we're sitting here kind of tossing out outside the box ideas like that. It's not really a position you want to be in going into to weekend four, but I think at this point we've got, we've got enough evidence at this point that unless something really drastically changes, this just is who this team is at this point. I think that's totally fair to say. I, I was willing to kind of do all kinds of caveats after the first weekend, certainly 
after the Arizona State weekend, it looked like they were pulling out of it. But now, given another weekend of more or less the same thing, I, I think we at, at this this current iteration of the team, this just is what it is, I think. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh moving on. Sorry about that, uh Mississippi State fans. I, I wish we were, I wish we had left it on a little bit. You 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 know. You're, the great thing about the SEC, though, is you're going to have plenty of opportunities to kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps. So the, the, all is is most certainly not lost, but certainly they do have some some pulling of the bootstraps to do. OK, uh, we're going to move on to where I was this weekend. That was in the state of Georgia. Uh, Georgia wins its rivalry series against Georgia Tech, just like this Clemson, South Carolina series. They play one game in each home park and then play a neutral site game in a, in a minor league park. I think that's a cool setup. Unfortunately, Athens got a little bit of the short end of the stick because the weather was, was bad on Friday. So the game got delayed, didn't start until eight twenty local. And even when it started, it was damp and there was kind of intermittent raining during the game. So it just, the crowd wasn't totally what it would have been, but it was a fabulous crowd at Russ Chandler on Saturday. I've, covered games at Russ Chandler on several occasions. It was far and away the best crowd that I've seen in that stadium, which was was great to see. And then a good crowd at Cool Ray Field in, in Gwinnett County. It's, it's hard to know how big that crowd was necessarily or put that in perspective because it's such a bigger facility than the college, those two college parks. But really, really good crowd that was into it. Beautiful weather the last two days. So it was a lot of a lot of fun, really enjoyable. I think the big takeaway here is that, man, this this Georgia offense is is really, really good. The question I have is we've been talking about this with a lot of different teams, right? So South Carolina, obviously bringing up Georgia here, Mississippi State. It's also clear that whether it's the balls or whatever, offense is up in college baseball. And so it it is an interesting question to ponder as time goes on how these offenses are good, but how good are they relative to everyone else? especially within the sec you know i think we're we're fairly confident that florida is perhaps the cream of the crop at this point okay but beyond that it it feels kind of hard to suss out where everybody else is because it feels like offense is up just kind of generally so that's something to watch with georgia but in the meantime i came away really really impressed it's it's a pretty flat lineup and by that i mean they do have some star power and I'll get to that in a second, but their nine hitter is not so much worse than their five hitter. Right. Uh, There's, there's not a lot of drop off at the back, excuse me, at the back of the lineup. So I think that's, that bodes really well. I mean, they, the nine hitter on Friday was Mason LaPlante. Who's a middle infielder transfer from Yale. Who's just like a fun athletic player who has really good feel to hit. And then he hit lead off the next day. So that kind of gives you an idea of, of where they're at with their lineup. But a couple of, of big picture things here. One is that Charlie Condon looks like a star. I mean, you you came away really impressed with Ike Irish when you went to Auburn. I got a similar feeling about Charlie Condon coming out of this weekend, a redshirt freshman. And a really interesting story, uh, which I'm currently writing, will be out later this week. It's just an interesting story because the, you don't often see players who take a traditional redshirt. Because this wasn't an injury. This was... Yeah, he can maybe help us as a freshman, but I think he's probably better off if we redshirt him, let him work on his body, and then have mm-hmm. him focus on next season. With high-end players, you just don't see that as much as you might at the mid-major level or 
with um, role players, right? Role players, you, you occasionally see this, but for guys who are studs like this, you just you just don't the traditional red shirt, you just don't see a whole lot. And so that that's kind of unique with him. But man, you know, he just hit everything in sight this weekend. He's super physical, you know, 110 miles off miles an hour off the bat for for one of his home runs on on Saturday against Georgia Tech. It's power to all fields. You know, he hit a ringing double in the first first inning of the the first game of the series. And that's that's where he's kind of made the, the biggest improvements is he's gone from being kind of a, a pull side power guy to a guy that can that can really hammer the opposite gap. So he he really kind of makes them go at this point. But but Connor Tate is a sixth year senior who's off to a really good start. Kind of amazing that he's still kicking around and his his this is the first time he's not played on a team with his brother Cole in a long, long time, with the exception of one summer when they played in separate places for summer ball. But in terms of a traditional spring season, it's the first time they've not played on the same team in a while. And I asked him about it and he says like, yeah, it's kind of weird that we have to talk on the phone to give each other feedback on, on what's been happening. But, but anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll pitch it over to you, Mark, but I, I just came away really impressed with the way Georgia swung the bat. There's things to like on the mound too. We'll talk about that in a second, but certainly this is a team that looks like it, it's going to be able to keep up with teams offensively. Yeah, I mean that that was the thing. I mean, we felt really good about Georgia offensively. Uh the question was going to be on the mound. And, you know, with, with Woods in that Friday role, you know, the first outing didn't really go all that great, but he was better last week and and he was really good again, you know, um when you saw him. So I mean, he can give you a guy who can match up with with you know some of these top aces that we're talking about. Uh certainly he's High in talent. I think it's after that, you know, is I guess Sullivan was pretty good, right? Two weeks in a row, he's been he's 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 got it done. Um, and and I think after that, there's a lot of options, but they're they're still kind of figuring it out. Uh, who's going to be the, you know, one who who's going to be the guy or the guys at the end of games, right? The seventh, eighth, ninth inning, and then Sunday and and midweek for that point. Uh, who, who's going to to get those outs? Uh, because for me, that's the thing. Georgia's going to be able to to match up pretty well with all of these teams they're playing on Fridays and Saturdays because they have a good offense. And if, if Sullivan continues to pitch well, he'll keep them in the game. I, I am worried about Sunday. They're, they're going to have to outscore people, and they may be able to. But, um, you know, but again, I, I say that, but they held Georgia Tech to four even in the loss. Sunday and four in game three of the series is, you know, you'll take that most weeks. So um, maybe I'm, maybe I'm making too much out of that. We'll see. Yeah. Four to one game on Sunday was kind of incredible. I mean, it was a bigger ballpark. It was a pitcher's park. That's part of it. There were a couple deep fly balls that would have been out probably either the first two games of the series, but still Mm -hmm. (laughs) to get a four to one Sunday game is a little bit of a unicorn. Uh, so that was, that was definitely, definitely interesting. Yep. Woods took a step forward. I thought this was a step forward from where he's been. Mm-hmm. The numbers were good, but obviously it's it's a better Georgia Tech being a better lineup than any of the the previous two he saw. So I think that was not nothing. The first two innings were a little bit ugly in terms of he had guys in the bases, but he worked out of those, and then he ended up retiring the last twelve or something like that that he faced. So really impressive stuff there. That you know the the, the big picture storyline with him is how good is the the secondary stuff. And on this day, it was not very good early. And was was pretty good after that, and so he, you know, you could still see that it's a work in progress. It took some time for him to really lock in on it, but 
he's certainly taking step forward and, and man, that, that fastball is just elite. You know, I mean, uh, this is the first time I've seen it in person and you know, it's, it, it's one of those fastballs that he throws it and you see the radar gun say 92 and you just think there's no way that's 90, like that's 96 at least. So mm-hmm. he's one of those guys and Sullivan, he's been very, very good. He continues to pitch. Well, I'll just need to see him continue to do it. Sometimes it feels like he struggles to put hitters away. He doesn't really have it in the way that Woods can always go to a fastball up in the zone and get mm-hmm. someone to chase, or so it seems. We'll have to see if Sullivan ends up having a pitch that can be that for him. It feels like right now he's got a, a varied repertoire. He's got command of his entire repertoire, but it's pitchability more so than you know having a, a pitch that he can go to to, to put hitters away and, and miss bats. Perhaps he does, and we'll just have to see. But the, I felt like that was maybe maybe something that we'll just have to continue to to monitor with Sullivan, and, and maybe it does open him up to getting hit a little bit as the as the season goes on. But certainly to this point, he's been about done about everything that they could have could have asked at this point of the season. So, what do you think they'll end up doing on Sundays? You know, I think Matthew Hoskins is an interesting guy. I mean, not right now, but he was he was suffering, suffered an illness early in the, in the preseason. So his start to the season was delayed. He didn't pitch at all until last midweek against Presbyterian. He threw in the Sunday game, but he's a guy they were looking at in the fall as a guy who could be a weekend guy as a, as a freshman and man, his stuff looked good. There was no radar gun at, at the minor league park. So I don't really have any feel for that necessarily, but it was firm stuff. It looked really good in a short, I think it was two innings for him, maybe an inning and two thirds, something, I don't know, but Looks really, really good. Really looks the part physically. I think for now they're going to continue crisp. I mean, we'll see. For now, I, I'm betting they continue crisp, but understand that it may have to look like it did yesterday where they used, I think, seven pitchers. That just might have to be what it is right now. But if Woods and Sullivan continue to throw as well as they do, you can do that because they didn't really have to use that much bullpen the first two days. So, And they have a lot of arms. I mean, they, they, they do. Have- They've got... I mean, they've used 19 pitchers so far this season. So they clearly have some guys that they're at least curious about. But Hoskins is a name that I would put kind of in the listener's mind as don't be shocked if you look up in May and he's mm-hmm. someone who's worked his way into the rotation or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, he, he certainly looks the part of somebody who's going to have a, a bigger role pretty soon. All right, let's move on to another team that, like Mississippi State, played in a tournament this weekend. We will we'll talk about two teams consecutively here that were in the same tournament. But first, we're going to talk about Ole Miss. 3-0, good weekend for Ole Miss. Not perfect, we'll talk about that, but 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 certainly an improvement. They got through it 3-0. The biggest thing was that they they win on Friday 5-1, uh, I think it was against, against Maryland, to avenge the loss the previous Friday. They were able to do some things against Jason Savakul, and I think the biggest development there was that Jack Doherty was a version of himself that Ole Miss was looking for when they slotted him into the Friday spot when Hunter Elliott went down you know, six innings and, and held Maryland to a run. That's that's precisely what you're looking for. And there were some trickle-down effects to that where he gives them a strong start. They use less bullpen. It saves some bullpen. And then the, the bullpen generally was was solid for the rest of the weekend. So still some some rough edges. The rotation, Grayson Sonye had, had a lot of walks. Xavier Rivas didn't really get that deep into the game. Those continue to be ongoing issues for Ole Miss, but, but certainly given – all of the just the injuries and the, the, some of the ugly games they've had on a pitching side, you will certainly take going three and zero, kind of no matter 
how it looks. It's a survive in advance weekend for Ole Miss, at least for right now. And, and they took care of business. Yeah, I, I think you know, getting that getting that good start out of, out of Doherty, um, it kind of there's kind of two ways to look at this because one, you you took took him out of your closer role, and Mason Nichols was able to fill that role and, and pitched really well. Um, on Friday, right? So you, they actually use both of them in the same game, and that—that's the thing, you know. You, you rob from Peter to pay Paul. There's there's got to be somebody to step in and, and take up the slack, and that and that's what you know. Sometimes that takes a few weeks to to figure out roles and, and, and responsibilities that sort of thing. I think the other thing is Sonia. I mean, he struck out eleven, but he, you know, he almost walked that many too. I don't remember how many it was. It was a lot, but, um, but he, the, the stuff is there. It's just trying to, you know, he, he's got to make it, he's got to get more reps and, and understand this level, but you can see the ability. I mean, it's, he's going to be a special player and, and he already is really good. And he's, you know, he's in his third game. So, and, and offensively, Ole Miss is, they just continue to bomb. I mean, they're, they're, they're as talented Offensively, as anybody out there, maybe Florida and LSU might might dispute that, but but Ole Miss has a really solid offense, and it's going to be it's going to be better than solid when the weather warms up and it's you know and the, the the beer starts flowing out in out in right field and in Oxford. Sonny is interesting. One of the one of the comparisons that gets made with him is is Gunnar Hoagland, just because Hoagland was. The last big name freshman to go right into the rotation. And he's kind of the opposite of Hoagland in the struggles that Hoagland had, where Hoagland had such good command of the strike zone. One of the things that you heard about him as a freshman was that he throws too many strikes. Mm-hmm. And so he'd get hit because he's just all around the zone. And Sonny, but he didn't miss very many bats, at least as a freshman. And Sonny's kind of the opposite problem where he misses plenty of bats, but he also misses the strike zone yeah. <laughs> entirely too often. So a little bit of a different different issue there but again a, a good offensive weekend for Ole Miss and look it, it's it's not this simple you can't just snap your fingers and make it so however there is a formula there where if Doherty can do something like he did this past week and then you give Mason Nichols six outs seven outs eight outs suddenly you don't really have to have that much of a bridge between those two guys and you feel pretty good about Friday and with their offense all you have to do is find one of the next two games, basically, and you feel pretty good about your weekends. And then, you know, at some point, Hunter Elliott's coming back. Right. That's what we learned last week. So, right. you know, and Doherty stretched out. Uh, you have Sonia. I mean, maybe maybe that's what it looks like. And you put those three in the rotation, and that's, that's pretty scary if I'm on the other side. Yeah, I guess that that was news that broke since we've last podcasted you and mm-hmm. I. But yeah, Hunter Elliott coming back at some point, as of right now, slated to come back at some point this season. We don't know exactly what version of himself he will be. But but now for Ole Miss, there's at least the benefit of, okay, we know we have to tread water until this date. And maybe mm-hmm. he's not the same pitcher. It'd be hard to expect him to be that at least right away. But at least they kind of know what they're end point is on this on this arrangement and we'll just have to see kind of how it how it ultimately plays out the other sec team in minneapolis was vanderbilt and they went two and one and it was kind of a weird two and one coming out of this weekend feels a heck of a lot like the first weekend when they went two and one in globe life where 
they come out of the weekend and you kind of go, okay, good weekend, generally speaking, not entirely sure what to make of it. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot to, to, to talk about here, but they, they lose the opener to Nebraska. They were, they were leading three to one, I believe it was. And the Nebraska got to the bullpen in, in a way that teams really hadn't been getting to Vanderbilt's best bullpen arms so far this season. They got to Maldonado, they got to Schultz mm-hmm. and Nebraska ends up winning that game. And then Saturday looked like it was kind of heading in the same direction against Maryland where they, they were out to a, a pretty comfortable lead and then Maryland stormed back and, and ultimately Vanderbilt then, you know, comes back on Maryland and ends up walking it off. And, and that felt like a big win just because that could have been demoralizing that something that we perceived as Vanderbilt strength, which is the bullpen and kind of their pitching depth was mm-hmm. what failed them in two games. So they end up getting a win in a game they could have easily lost that had to feel pretty good. And then of course they just go out and throw a no hitter on Sunday right. against Minnesota, Minnesota, sadly not very good, but still a no hitter against anyone, much less a big 10 team playing at home is really, really impressive stuff. So there's some really good stuff here. The no hitter obviously is, is excellent. But there are still questions about this team. You know, was were the, the first two days of of teams getting to their bullpen a kind of just a, a blip on the radar and nothing really to worry about? Is it something more? Hunter Owen has pitched pretty well early in his starts, but is is now kind of stuck in a place where he's struggling to get, you know, deeper into games. Is that just kind of the starter he is right now, or is there some growth to be made for him in that role? That's an open question. So the offense is still a question. They're hitting below 250 as a team. How much of how much of that is just what this team is? Are there still some steps to be made offensively, or is this going to be a team that's going to struggle against high-end SEC pitching? Another open question. So again, good weekend. And on some level, you just have to tip your cap to Vanderbilt if they keep doing this. But there are still questions to be answered here. And that's why I come out of this weekend not being entirely sure how to feel about it all. Yeah, I mean, you... you you covered it. I think that the thing for Vandy is um, they're, they're so reliant on their pitching. And if it doesn't, if it isn't perfect, perfect, they don't have a, you know, there's not a lot of answers. So, so that was, I guess, um, encouraging that they're able to get that late comeback on Saturday to get the walk-off because they scored, they needed two, they were going to lose. They scored two in the ninth to win it. Um, And then, you know, but they still are, you know, they're, I think, the last in the SEC in batting. Part of that is because they played the, the most challenging schedule. But, but part of that, I think, is is who they're, you know, the, just kind of who they are, right? I, I don't think they're ever going to be, you know, the, the in the top five in batting in, in the SEC. They're always, you know, they're, they're probably a mid-pack best case. So it's just a question of, is that going to be enough? Um and maybe if they, you know, if they're able to pitch like they did the first few weeks, it, a lot of weeks it will be. So, and that's where I am with them. It's just, you know, the, is the pitching good enough to offset the the extra pressure that not having that potent offense is going to put on them? Or will the offense, you know, because there's some, there's some growth opportunity there. You know, they're, they're not going to be a big home run hitting team, but they can score runs in, in other ways. And, and I think, you know, that that's their – their opportunity to get where Vandy fans want them to be is, is that offense has got to, is, is got to evolve a little bit. 
I thought you put it you you put it really well there where yes, they're last in the SEC and hitting, but in large part because of the the competition they've played. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to put it. But then all because then also it leads to the next thing, which is so they they may not finish last in the SEC in hitting, but it might be a preview into what SEC play might look like. Because mm-hmm. ultimately most weekends in the SEC, they're going to be see, they're going to see pitching on par or better than what they've seen so far. You know, perhaps UCLA is if they just got plopped into the SEC, they will soon get plopped into the Big Ten, I guess. But if, if UCLA just got plopped into the SEC, they would probably have a high end pitching staff in the SEC. But the other teams they faced, maybe, maybe not. So I, th- I thought you put that really well because yes, they're probably not going to be the worst hitting team in the SEC, but also this just might be what they are in sec play because they may have just gotten a preview of it the last few weeks yeah. so i mean certainly. based on such such uneven competition that we've seen so far i mean the, the league averages of batting average is 316 right now okay so it's certainly not going to stay there it's, it's going to plummet significantly the 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 sec's average era team era is 404 right now um that's gonna that's gonna go up so it's just a question of, you know, Vandy, how much, you know, how do you evaluate them when their level of competition has just been so different? Yeah. Speaking of teams that we are having a little trouble evaluating at this point of the of the season, uh, Texas A&M played in the, the Shriners Children's College Classic in Houston at Minute Maid Park, took a tough loss to Louisville on Friday and, and, who boy, it just looks like Louisville's a team that's just really, really good. They, they're doing a good job. Obviously, the Louisville offense we knew was going to be good coming into the season. Feels like they're making some strides on the mound. That's just a quick note. This is not an, an ACC podcast, so we'll move on from that. But Louisville equals good so far this season. But in that loss, Nathan Detmer struggled for AM. Not a lot of shame in that because the aforementioned Louisville lineup is quite good. But this was a season when Detmer was was said to have made strides. And so you do wonder if, okay, when you when you face off some of these really good offenses in your own conference that are kind of where Louisville is, what version of Nathan Detmer will we see? Will there in fact be a big leap after all? That is that is to be determined. Uh, AM certainly hopes that this past weekend was not indicative of, of something along those lines. But the bigger thing with AM is the offensive production, taking out the offensive explosion against Rice, you know, Rice looks like they have one really good starter in Parker Smith, and that's a big reason why they beat Texas Tech on Friday. But their depth is, is not particularly good on the mound. So AM hammers Rice on Saturday, but but outside of that, they really struggled offensively, didn't get anything going against Louisville until it was too late in that game on Friday. Those were just kind of garbage time runs, for lack of a better way of putting it. And then they win the game against Texas Tech, but you know, needed a, a late rally, needed a ninth inning rally, thanks to walks, really, <laughs> from Texas Tech's re- reliever, and then ended up, you know, scoring some runs in the 16th to, to ultimately get the job done. But when you when you score whatever it was, however many runs, four runs um, in 16 innings, that's not really standout production. So the big question for you, Mark, and for, for both of us, ultimately, but I'll, I'll pose it to you, is mm-hmm. how much confidence do you have now three weeks in? Not not one weekend, not a weekend in a midweek game. Uh, we're three full weeks into this thing. I mean, for better or worse, we're 20% of the way through the schedule, more or less. 
how much confidence do you have that AM will get this turned around and become not just a passable offense, but what we thought was going to be an excellent offense when it was all said and done? Well, they're 13th in batting, but first in walks. And <laughs> so it's so that tells me that you they're being they're really patient. They're seeing a lot of pitches, they're going to get into some bullpens. And hopefully, if you're an AM fan, you're thinking that some of these guys are going to start coming through with runners on base because that's really been their problem is getting the clutch hit. Um, you, they're just – I watched a lot of that game with, with Texas Tech, and they had runners on base the whole game. I think they stranded 14, 15 runners. It was, and that was pretty much in regulation because they didn't get – you know, they didn't get much in, in extras. So it, it was just one of those things that um, – Based on last season, you think they're going to make that jump. But, um, you know, I haven't seen anything to tell me, you know, to give me a lot of confidence that they are. You know, maybe this is – they're just the kind of team that's going to have a really small margin for error. It's going to play a lot of close games. And, you know, maybe how how fortunate are they going to be? You know how it is in baseball. A lot of it, when your margin for error is so small, you need the breaks. And maybe last year they got them. Um, with a better offense, and and this year, even though their pitching looks to be improved uh, from from a year ago, or at least had the opportunity to, um, the offense just isn't the same. So, where's this going to lead? And and, and we we aren't going to know for a month or so. But um, it, it it is a little bit, um, I guess, uh, concerning. If I had to bet right now, I'd say that that no, they aren't going to turn this offense around they're going to have to win in other ways with with clutch hits and walks and hit batters and moving runners and those kinds of things and, and maybe that's fine but um it's hard to win a championship that way yeah certainly the, the pitching gives you confidence they can maybe do some things in some different ways chris cortez looked great yesterday mm-hmm. against texas tech certainly his stuff is very good troy wansing the purdue transfer has has been very good so there, there is optimism that, that there is some strides to be made. And, and look, if, if you squint hard enough offensively, you know, yes, he took an over seven yesterday against Texas Tech, but Jack Moss's average is creeping up closer to 300. And Austin Boast had a had a pretty big Sunday, a pretty big weekend generally. And it's really, you know, Trevor Warner still hitting below 200, Ryan Targach hitting 205. There was a lot of hype about Jace Laviolette, but ultimately he's a freshman. So that one you can kind of understand and excuse a little bit. So again, if if you want to squint hard enough, you can see some baby steps, but they are baby steps at, at this point. So I'm with you generally. I just think maybe, I think this will be a good offense, but the idea that it's going to be, especially in a year like this, when it seems like we might just have a lot of very, very good offenses in this league, you know, it might just end up being an upper upper middle tier offense for lack of better, you know, the sixth or seventh best lineup maybe in the SEC. And, and that, that'll, really, yeah. yeah, that'll and win you a lot good. of ball games, but, mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, certainly something to watch. And look, I mean, they've got this week, they've got a couple of midweek games in Northern Kentucky. They should be able to kind of get right there. In one of the midweek games is against rice again. So they should be able to, to at least get some uh, feel good about things. Mm-hmm. with those next five games but then sec play starts and they've got tennessee and lsu and tennessee right out of the gate bang bang and so that's when we're really going to know something because at that point we will be almost to the midpoint of the season once those two sec series get under our belt so that that's at that point i think we can draw some more definitive statements because they're certainly 
not going to face. Those are the two most talented pitching staffs they're going to face all year. So we'll know pretty quickly what we've got there. Yep. Uh, moving on, Mark, this, this is uh, your segment. I'm going to clear out that we're going to run an ISO for Mark to mm-hmm. use basketball coaching terminology. We're going to clear the paint for Mark and just get him the rock, but uh, Alabama stays undefeated sweeps, Illinois, Chicago, Mark, you were in Tuscaloosa. Well, you were in Tuscaloosa all weekend, but you were only at the one game, uh, Saturday's game. Uh, Mark had had um, other uh, requirements. Yes. Yeah. yeah, events in, in Tuscaloosa. Um, there you go. So, uh, you know, I wasn't going to put Mark's business out there, but if Mark wants to say why he was there, then, then he can. But uh, um, so you were at the Saturday game, which was, I think you, you saw some some. Uh, good stuff from Alabama standpoint, you wrote a, a really good piece on kind of where they're at and what they still want to accomplish. So I, again, I'll, I'll, I'll throw you the ball in the paint and then clear out and, and let you tell us a little bit about what you saw from the tide this weekend. Yeah. Well, the competition hasn't been great yet, but they're undefeated and they're not just winning. They're just pounding. They're just, you know, winning decisively. And, you know, you look around the league and not everyone's doing that, you know, pretty much everybody's drops some game that they were expected to win. And, Alabama's had it only had a few where they've even been challenged. So I think part of that is it's a veteran team. They've had a lot of at bats. They're really mature and they're consistent. And, and, and that's, that's the part that you don't always get, especially early in the year to have had that, that continuity and consistency. And they have a lot more depth. Um, there've been years where Alabama had trouble, you know, finding nine guys that could feel good, good about in the lineup. He's got 13 or 14 to go to now, and he's using them all and mixing and matching. And, and they're they look different. They do. Um, and then on the mound, they've got they've got two studs. They've got two guys, two bullets, and hitting Hess that um, that look like the guys at Florida or Tennessee or LSU. And we'll, we'll see if they can reach that level. But though, but but they have those kinds of uh, pitchers, and it's just a question of what's going to follow behind them. Uh, McNary was okay on Sunday, but Garrett McMillan, who was a Friday guy last year, hasn't pitched at all. He's healthy. Uh, as uh, Brad Bohannon told me after the game Saturday, he said the ball's in the air. We're just building him up. So, you know, a couple of weeks, probably you're going to see him in some role. And the, the thought is that, that he could come in and be a big boost to, to that team. Um, the other thing I want to point out is um, I'm going to do a, a feature on Andrew Pinckney. And he's a really interesting character in that, you know, kind of like what you talked about with Condon, with Georgia, he came in and redshirted his first year, just wasn't ready. And then gradually improved and improved. And then last year improved a lot and had opportunities, you know, maybe, maybe it's pro ball, maybe uh, tr- check out this transfer portal thing. Um, but he didn't. He stayed there. He was loyal to his coach, to his program, who took a chance on him when he really wasn't, you know, a household name. And um, that is really, really a thoughtful, thoughtful interview with, with Pinkney. And uh, I'm excited to, to see how, see how this feature turns out. I'm still working on it. But yeah, I think it, the thing for Alabama is, is we don't know exactly, you know, what they are yet, but they've given so many reasons for optimism for a program that's kind of hungry for some success. Yeah, no doubt. I I um I talked to a an assistant coach of a team that Alabama has played already this season, and he said the difference maker, and I think this just speaks to how good they are because this is not 
where your mind would typically go with a team that's playing really, really well. Mm -hmm. This coach said the difference maker is the bullpen. Mm -hmm. He said, you know, we, we just kept waiting for them to bring in the generic right-hander throwing 88 to 90. And it just never happened. Like Mm -hmm. it was just one bullet after another. And the stats kind of bear that out. I mean, not only is the team ERA 189, which I don't care who the competition is, 189 is excellent. But this time of year, when you look at team stat sheets, there's always two, three guys at the bottom of the stat sheet who have pitched once or twice and just gotten blown up. They don't have any of those guys. The highest ERA of anyone, no matter how little they've pitched, is 3-6-0. That's incredible. They've had no one just get blown up. Like, it's just that's just so, so rare, especially at this time of year when the numbers can get so easily skewed. But anyway, so that, I mean, that's, again, that's not usually where you hear people go when they talk about how well a team is playing as the bullpen, but this coach just raved about just the, the options they had there. And so I'm, I'm excited to see them here in a couple of weeks against Florida. That should be a whole heck of a lot of fun. And without looking at the entire schedule, like it, it, it's gotta be the best series in the SEC, at least if the Florida and Alabama continue to progress the way they have yeah there's some good ones opening weekend that that is definitely one of them Ole Miss Vandy play and ah, uh, right right, right. so there's some yeah big opening weekend yeah. yeah we will uh look yeah looking forward to that uh once once things get um get underway so okay let's uh wrap up real quick we'll do kind of like we've done the last couple of weeks Mark I will run us through just quickly everything else that happened and because we've covered so much there's only one two three four six of them here so I'll just go through all six and then I'll let you kind of ruminate on whatever of that group you'd like to, to ruminate on. So here we go. Tennessee sweeps Gonzaga. First things first, this feels like rebuilding Gonzaga. I mean, that, that's still talent there. It's still a relatively good team, but they've, they've, they usually pick off, you know, in series like this Gonzaga, and they've also played Texas tech usually picks off a game or two and they really haven't done that yet. So we'll kind of see what happens there. But Dolander and, and Burns were both very good in their starts. So all systems go there. LSU breezes past Butler in Central Connecticut State. Those games weren't particularly competitive. Paul Skeen shined again. He won our SEC Extra Pitcher of the Week award for this week. Kentucky sweeps Indiana State. I think that's a low-key solid series win. Indiana State's record isn't particularly good, but those games were tight. Kentucky needed a they played a doubleheader on Saturday. Kentucky needed a, a pretty good comeback in the second game to win that game. They ended up walking it off. Indiana State doesn't beat themselves. They've got good talent. I'm confident that's a solid series win, even if Indiana State's record is not where they would want it to be. They, too, have played tough competition early in the season, as, as they always do. Darren Williams is a name to know there. I've talked about him before. I wrote a feature about him. He's thrown 11 and two-thirds innings or something along those lines, has given up one hit so far this season incredible much like nate dome with mississippi state there is an interesting debate to be had about what his role is the rest of the way because he's at this point pretty close to stretched out enough to start you do have to wonder if maybe they'll do it let him have one more relief outing this coming weekend and then they're on the road against Southern illinois this weekend and then perhaps he starts sec play in the rotation we'll, we'll have to see that the flip side of that is that the rotation pitchers that Kentucky has used have been pretty good. So it's not like they're in a necessarily in a position where they have to do that. So Auburn sweeps Lipscomb. 
two one run wins. So one was high scoring, one was low scoring, and then they they won the one of the games comfortably. But they had to work pretty hard for that. Lipscomb also looks like they might be pretty decent. So I don't want to read too too much into that. But but as you alluded to, they did get some better pitching. Did Auburn? Arkansas sweeps right state. Uh, Hunter Holland had the best start of the weekend. And remember, he was the guy who wasn't going to be in the rotation until Jackson Wiggins uh, went down with his injury, but he gave them a good start. And Missouri sweeps Texas Southern. Hard to know what to take from that necessarily. And they uh, the middle game of that series almost got away from them. <laughs> it was 8-7 and Texas Southern scored a couple in the, they played a seven inning game. They scored a couple in the seventh to make it 8-7. And they really avoided I don't know what Texas Southern's RPI will be, but I can just about guarantee will be worse than 250. So they really dodged a bullet with that one in terms of not having that type of RPI loss on the resume. Mark, what of that uh, interests you most? Well, I, I think Kentucky with winning those close games, I mean, they played three close ones with Indiana State. So that can only help you. You know, you're in that. Uh, uh, so SEC play, they're going to be in a lot of close games. Um, and so this is something that, that they can look back on and, and have confidence in. Also, just kind of a weird stat for them. You know, we talked about Mississippi State had 17 unearned runs. Guess how many Kentucky's had? One. Mm-hmm. One unearned run this late in the year. That's, yeah, know, that's impressive. Not yeah. that you, you know, you, you're choosing when to commit your errors, maybe. That's that's pretty smart. <laughs> um, I think the other thing is, uh, you know, with Auburn, winning different ways. Um, I, I do like, you know, they had – Ike Irish got the walk-off hit uh, to win the high-scoring game. Bryson Ware hit a three-run bomb late for, to win the low-scoring game. I mean, that, that's a, you know, that that's an interesting club to me. Um, if they figure it out on the mound, um, they're going to be a problem because they are going to hit. So it's it's just you know it's it's really, um, especially when Gonzalez comes back and and they can kind of shift into what what their long-term plans are going to be. Um, that could be a, that could be a club that's going to give people problems. Auburn feels destined to be that team all year where we yep. we just kind of hey they just keep winning games they just keep figuring it out and lo and behold there they are with a forty and whatever record you know at the end of the SEC tournament and they're you know it just kind of feels like they're they're destined to be that type of team again and that's the beauty of of what they've what they've developed there so I think that's that's absolutely right on. That is going to do it for this episode of Highway to Hoover. Thanks for joining us today. There was a lot to talk about, so thanks for hanging with us. Highway to Hoover is brought to you by Brock's Gap Brewing Company in Hoover, Alabama. Again, a congratulations to Brock's Gap on their one-year anniversary. It looked like a lot of fun. That's really awesome. We're looking forward to uh, furthering our partnership with them. Thank you again. Thank you all for listening. Thanks to Mark. We'll talk to you all soon. For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. <laughs> Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois.